Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to The Deciding Point, our Crack Rackets weekly breakdown of the biggest storylines happening throughout the tennis world. On this week's show, I want to recap the 2020 Summer Olympics, the tennis coming to a close, first-time medalist across the board in singles. I want to talk about the action that unfolded in doubles as well. Of course, we did have some ATP Tour action this week. John Isner, Casper Ruud extending their dominance respectively. I want to talk about both of their success this past week. And then, of course, We've got the City Open on our hands, the ATP 500 back in Washington, D.C. Rafael Nadal making his debut at the event. Want to preview the field and so much more. All of that on today's show. With that in mind, Westoff, roll those credits. Let's get to the action. Of course, the biggest storyline entering the 2020 Summer Olympics was could Novak Djokovic keep his quest for a Golden Slam alive? Join Steffi Graf as the only players in tennis history to capture both an Olympic gold medal in singles plus all four Grand Slam singles titles in the same calendar year. He was also trying to capture a gold medal that is essentially the one title that has eluded him throughout his otherwise dominant career. The answer to that question was no. Djokovic knocked off in a fantastic three-set semifinal performance by eventual gold medalist Alex Zverev. Zverev goes on to beat Karen Hachanov 6-3-6-1 in that gold medal match, become the first player from Germany to capture a men's singles gold medal. He joins Graf, Michael Stitch, Boris Becker as the only Germans to medal at the Olympics as well. And of course, if you look for Alex Zverev, a lot of off-the-court problems for him over the past year. And of course, if you have not, I highly recommend you go read Ben Rothenberg's piece in Racket Magazine telling the story of Alia Sharipova and the physical and emotional abuse she endured at the hands of Alex Zverev throughout their relationship. It's so important you start out any conversation surrounding Zverev with that piece of information. But of course, it would also be disingenuous to disregard what Alex Zverev has done on the tennis court throughout his career, but in particular over that past 12 months span as well because you look for Zverev, he's always been the heir apparent, right? The next-gen campaign was essentially a campaign built to promote him. He's the guy who has won the most Masters title of the next-gen cohort, has the most ATP titles in general of any player born 1995 or later. He's also beaten Roger Federer on a grass court. He's beaten Rafa on a clay court. He's now beaten Djokovic both indoor and outdoors on a hard court. He's the only guy who can say that right now in the professional game of this next-gen cohort. And of course, you look for him checking off all of the boxes at the majors as well. Has made the second week of his last seven. Made his first Grand Slam final at the 2020 U.S. Open. And while that's still the one title he's yet to capture, certainly you imagine the confidence he gets from beating Djokovic going on to capture the title. It's only going to help him 
heading towards this 2021 U.S. Open. And yes, it's worth remembering. The Olympics now, a two out of three set format. Three out of five is a completely different ball game, and it's worth remembering Novak Djokovic's only loss in the last five Grand Slams, all three out of five set format, is a loss. Uh, excuse me, his only two losses. One was to Nadal at Roland Garros. Obviously, that's not happening here. The other one was a loss he suffered getting defaulted by Pablo Carreno Boost. I suppose you go back his last six majors. It's four titles, the default to Carreno Busta, and a loss in the final of Roland Garros to Rafael Nadal. That's what it takes to beat Novak Djokovic at the slams over these last two years, either a flukish event or to be Nadal at Roland Garros. So of course he enters the tournament as the prohibitive favorite, but you look back in the history of tennis, you can hear so many parallels echoing to this Alex Virev title. Of course, again, personally, very different people, but the development of an Alex Virev compared to an Andy Murray. Murray had come up close so many times, whether it be, I think it was four or five Grand Slam finals he lost heading into that 2012 Olympics. He then captures the Olympic gold medal immediately after captures the 2012 US Open. Now, of course, Murray, Zverev, not exactly the same. You could argue Murray had higher level success against his peers and, you know, was competing for more Masters titles week in, week out than perhaps Zverev is. But I would disagree. They were both top five, top, you know, five-ish guys. They were both top 15 club members, top 15 in both hold percentage and break percentage. Zverev, one of only five guys you can say that about in 2021. And of course, he also recently made a Grand Slam final where he was two points away from capturing the match. And, you know, he was, it just, he's been the guy for so long. This title certainly confirming that notion. And you do wonder heading into the US Open, how dangerous is he? Because we know his his best tennis is as good as anyone on the tours right now, of course, per, except Novak Djokovic, perhaps. But, you know, we haven't seen him get over the hump. We see him now do it at the Olympics. Can he do it at the Grand Slams? That is certainly a question. You look at his performance against Hatchinov was absolutely dominant. And if you want to hear me talk more about that Zverev-Djokovic match, you can find an ex- a specific video on our YouTube channel, a specific podcast on our mini break podcast feed. But against Hatchinov, I mean, Hatchinov hits a heavy topspin forehand. Zverev was using that topspin, driving through the ball with ease. And these courts in Tokyo were slow. It was really, really hard to hit a winner. Except for for Alex Vera, who can hit a serve over 130 miles per hour at will, who can drive the backhand as well as anyone except Djokovic on the ATP Tour. And when he's connecting with his forehand, moving forward confidently, the physical profile he has as well, he's a completely different player. He is truly amongst the elite. Again, you look for him. He's uh, currently in the top five of, or excuse me, top t- uh, six, I think, of the ATP rankings. He's currently one of the five members of the top 15 club, top 15 and hold and break percentage. And again, now wins over Djokovic on hard courts and Dahl on clay, Federer on grass courts. There's a reason everyone's been excited about Zverev. This, uh, his tennis, at least this Olympics confirms that fact. Of course, moving beyond that for Karen Hachanov, who at one point had lost four consecutive matches during this 2021 season. He then goes to Wimbledon, makes the quarterfinals. Yes, lost a tough match to Shapovala, but to follow that up by winning an Olympic silver medal here in the singles portion of the competition. We're heading into a summer hardcore stretch that should allow him, you know, to play his best tennis on his best surface. Of course, once we go indoors, we've seen him win a Paris Masters. Competence is uh, a plenty 
for Karen Hachanov right now. Fantastic performance for him. Yes, he was disappointed to lose to Zverev like that in the final, but his serve, his forehand, he's found confidence. He's clicking, heading into the summer, and then how do you not feel good for Pablo Carreno Busta, who really is the best of the lost gen right now, of Rayonich, Dimitrov, Carreno Busta, Gofen, team. Who do you say is the best of that group? You gotta say it's bronze medalist Pablo Carreno Busta, who beats Novak Djokovic and Daniil Medvedev in the same tournament and ends up with a bronze medal. Crazy stuff. Congratulations to him, though. It's the sort of moment you remember and seeing the joy in his face after winning the medal. Absolutely splendid. Really, really fun men's singles event. And again, silver lining. We know how maniacal Djokovic is. I will guarantee to you all right now, he's barring injury. He's playing the 2024 Olympics. And I suppose as a tennis fan, that's a good thing because it guarantees we get at least three more years from him. Again, it's Zverev with the gold, Hachinov with the silver, Kareno Busta with the bronze. But of course, the big storyline remains. Do we get Djokovic now till 2024? I think the answer is yes. I suppose we'll all have to wait and see. Well, folks, we know upsets define the WTA Tour over the past few seasons, so perhaps it shocks no one that the two names that ended up competing for the gold medal at the 2020 Summer Olympics in women's singles were number 9 seed Belinda Bencic and unseeded 2019 French Open finalist Marketa Vandrusova. Now, in the end, it's Bencic earning her fourth consecutive three-set win of the event. It dates back to the round of 16. She beat 2021 French Open champion Krejcikova in a three-set match there. Then quarterfinals, she beats 2021 French Open finalist Anastasia Pavlchenkova. She then knocks out Rabakina in a three-set match before ultimately earning a 7-5-2-6-6-3 win over Vondrusova to earn the gold medal. It is impossible to feel anything but joy for Belinda Bencic following this result, particularly if you have tracked her career. Belinda Bencic, much like men's singles gold medalist Alex Virov, was your 2013 World Junior Champion. She ended the year as the world number one. She was 16 years old at the time. It felt like the the ceiling was, you know, through the roof for Belinda Bencic. And then she comes out firing on the WTA Tour, quickly ascends into the top 15, is on everyone's shortlist as one of the defining talent of her generation. Of course, the end of the injury bug bites her, and for multiple years, it's different nagging things, different surgeries, just different pains keeping her from finding her rhythm on tour. Of course, in 2019, it felt like she had finally done that. Big run through the Middle East, big run in Indian Wells. She makes the semifinals of the U.S. Open as well, solidifies herself back in the top 10 of the WTA rankings. You look over the last 52 weeks, though, Belinda Bencic, 17-15 and 15 overall since the tour resumed in August. Outside of a final she made in Berlin in the grass court season this year, she had really struggled to find her rhythm. But if you watched her play at this Olympic event, you saw that rhythm return. What Belinda Bencic jumps out immediately when you watch her play. One of the five best ball strikers you're going to find in the women's game. Her ability to take that ball early on the rise, down the line, cross court, so, so special. In this match against Von Drusova in particular, her ability to make the adjustment of, hey, it's really hard to hit a winner on these Tokyo courts. I What I need to do to keep Marquetta, uh, Marquetta pushed back to create space for myself is move forward and rather than letting the ball drop, take it as a swinging volley because Bench wasn't comfortable taking overheads, but she was comfortable 
comfortable taking that ball out of the air, taking a little bit of time away from Van Drusvelt, allowing her to be a little bit more unpredictable. Now, this match in the final was fantastic. Such a fun contrast of styles. Such a physical match. And you could see Van Drusva felt like it after that second set lopsided result, maybe she had worn down Bencic, but Bencic just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And her ability in particular to take her backhand down the line, almost off of a short hop, whenever she'd be exchanging the Van Drusva lefty forehand to her own righty backhand was super, super special. And I just, again, in the you would love a little bit more from Belinda Bencic on the serve because she's not the most natural mover. But, you know, when she's striking the ball well and confidently, her ability to take returns early on the rise and be aggressive with that return, take control of the point, it was just, she was on fire. And again, Van Drusva threw the entire kitchen sink at her. Short angle cross court, drop shot after drop shot after drop shot, taking the ball early down the line. She was super unpredictable. And again, how many 21, 22-year-olds out there already have the resume of Olympic silver medal in singles plus Grand Slam final? Very, very few. So yes, she's ranked outside the top 40 right now. This was also very reaffirming for what Van Drusva is capable of in the future, but Man, the story from this tournament has to be Belinda Bencic, who, of course, captured a silver medal in doubles as well with fellow countrywoman Victoria Golubic, and just, she's confident now, and she's got a million points to defend. I, that's a little bit hyperbole, but it honestly might be that many this fall and, you know, throughout this summer hardcore season, and so if she wants to keep her top 10 ranking, given the fact she was 17 and 15 over these last 52 weeks, she's going to need some big results. Again, to beat Krejcikova, Pavlochenkova, Bakina and Van Drusva all in three sets. Yes, that means the balls rolled your way this week, but considering they hadn't been the prior 52 weeks, it feels like this was a long time coming. You could see the joy in her face when she won the match. You could just, again, uh, the confidence this builds, the relief, just the just how she's feeling moving forward now. And you can tell this reaffirms her place. She belongs in the conversation when she plays her best tennis. It really is, I don't want to say quite as good as anyone else, but it's very much in the mix, excuse me, with anyone else. Belinda Bencic was spectacular. Marketa Van Drusova was awesome. I mean, to beat Osaka, Bedosa, I know the Bedosa match was a retirement, but Svitolina, and then be right there with Belinda Bencic when Bencic was playing at this level. I mean, yes, slow hard courts for a former French Open champion, perfect conditions for Marketa Van Drusova, but she made the most of those conditions. And, you know, again, her slice serve out wide, it's a weapon. And then she'll throw in the flat into your body and just she can do so many different things. It's Kenan-esque in how unpredictable it is. Another one of those outliers right now in the women's game. Super, super impressed with her. And then what a bounce back from Svitolina after a disappointing semifinal result. She beats Rabakina in a tight three-set match. Another player with a bunch of points to defend this uh, upcoming summer. Certainly, she gets the confidence-building results she needs. And then we all know Elena Rabakina, that power tennis. We saw the French Open. We saw Wimbledon. She's playing her best, entering her best portion of the schedule. All dangerous names are Olympic. You know, Van Drusva is probably the one you'd least expect, but I mean, definitely a data point for us entering the summer. And it was a really, really fun uh, home stretch of this 2020 uh, Summer Olympics in women's singles. Again, it's Bencic with the gold, Van Drusva with the silver, Svitolina with the bronze. Super fun results in women's singles. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. 
Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. The story of mixed doubles at the 2020 Summer Olympic Games. ROC, yeah, you know me. Andrei Rublev and Anastasia Pavlochenkova knocking off their fellow Russian countrymen, Aslan Karatsev and Alina Vesnina, in a three-set final to earn the gold medal. Of course, Karatsev, Vesnina ultimately end up with the silver, and then it's Team Beers, Ashley Barty, John Pierce earning that bronze medal after Djokovic Stojanovic withdraw from the event, of course, for Novak Djokovic, the disappointment of not capturing the gold and then losing that bronze medal match as well. You could understand physically, mentally, he was drained. And of course, you would have loved for Nina Stanjanovic to have that opportunity to compete. But again, you can understand that decision, uh, certainly. But I mean, look, it was a three-set gold medal match. 13 and 11, Rublev Pavlchenkova. They had fought off multiple match points on their pathway to the final. So to see them play a dramatic gold medal match, it just felt fitting. And again, Again, there was so much power from those two from the baseline. Very unconventional, untraditional style of play here in the mixed doubles. But, man, it was a really, really exciting match. And it was great to see, again, for Karatsev, we all want to know, how fluky is his run? Is he really a top 30 guy right now on the ATP Tour? You see a result like this, and, of course, he's fortunate to be paired with an Alina Viznina, who was also in the medal rounds in women's doubles, and we'll get there momentarily. But it was a super fun match. And just there's a, a degree of respect and affection between the fellow countrymen, uh, but there was also just, again, you don't want to lose to your fellow Russian athletes. And by the way, I believe the entire Russian delegation ends up meddling, uh, I, or let's see, in women's doubles, who did Viznina end up playing with? Viznina plays with Kudermatova, so unfortunately, I suppose Kudermatova, the only member of the Russian delegation not able to member, uh, medal, unfortunately, but five of the six is pretty darn good when you look at how these, this uh, Olympic delegation was able to perform. And again, you get to now the women's doubles, Krechikova, Sinyak, of a number one seeded team. I mean, they're Grand Slam champions. Makes sense. They end up winning this event as well. They take the gold over Benchic and Golubic. And by the way, she's only 20, you know, 25, 26 years old. But if you look for Krejcikova, Olympic gold medal, women's singles Grand Slam, women's doubles Grand Slam title, Hall of Famer already. Like, we definitely need to have, I mean, we don't need to have the conversation yet. We've got a couple of years. But assuming, I mean, even if she retired today, pretty strong case. Certainly, she's probably your player of the year here in 2021, but you look, some history made. Luisa Stefani, Laura Pegasi delivering the first Olympic medal in women's tennis for the Brazilian delegation. They win 11-9 in the third set over the aforementioned Alina Viznina and Veronica Kudermatova. Gotta feel good for Luisa Stefani, former Pepperdine Wave standout. Shout out as always to college tennis. Those were your women's doubles 
doubles results and then on the men's double. It was an all-Croatia final. In the end, your number one seeds. Number one seeds sweep in men's and women's doubles. Metkic, Pavic, turns out, as always, continuity. So important in doubles. Those two just won Wimbledon. 10-6, they take the gold medal match over fellow countrymen. Chilich and Dodig in the bronze medal match. It's Daniel and Venus over Krejcik and Sandgren. Shout out to LSU Michael Venus. LSU's Michael Venus again. College tennis, folks. You're going to end up in the Olympics with a medal. That's the pitch I'm going to make after today. But again, overall, between the singles, men's and women's, and, and then, of course, the men's and women's, and mixed doubles as well, I really love these Olympics. I know some people, is it a slam? Is it not a slam? Where does it fall in the tennis ecosystem, particularly given how jam-packed the calendar already is? I will always cherish the opportunity for players to have the chance to represent their countries. You know they cherish that opportunity as well. This was a super, super fun event uh, across the board. And again, really fun preview. Hopefully this level of play carries over into the summer hardcourt action. Of course, most of us were focused on the action happening in Tokyo last week, but it's worth noting that a couple of streaks of dominance were extended on the ATP Tour last week. Let's start with Casper Ruud. Anytime you win three consecutive events in three consecutive weeks on the ATP calendar, you will capture the attention of the tennis world. Casper Ruud has done exactly that, winning the titles in Bastad, Gestad, now Kitzbühel as well. It's worth noting he only beat one top 75 guy during that stretch. And of course, that one top 75 guy was Benoit Paire. But still, to win 12 matches over the course of 21 days, to win multiple three-setters in your third week on the job as well, in Kitzbühel in particular, that three-set final he earned over Pedro Martinez-Portero, given the rain delays, such a physical match. But, I mean, you got to give a shout-out to the guy. And do I love the fact that his victory meal is only 10 McNuggets plus a flurry and a Diet Coke from McDonald's? No. Like, who goes to McDonald's, doesn't get fries, A. B, if you have won the event, I'm getting 20 nuggets, I'm getting two McFlurries, probably three fries, and I've earned some red meat, so I'll throw a burger in the mix there as well. But you look for Casper Ruud, of course, you've probably seen this stat floating around. Technically, he's the first guy since Andy Murray in 2011 to win three consecutive events in three consecutive weeks. Andy Murray also did it in 2016, it's worth noting, but there was a week break between his title at the Paris Masters and the title at the ATP Tour Finals. But you look at that 2011 season, Murray did it, Federer did it, Djokovic actually did it twice. When you're keeping that sort of company... Good news for Kasparud, who, by the way, earns his fifth ATP title of his career. I mentioned this in the Zverev portion. Zverev, the most ATP titles of the next gen, uh, guys born after 1990, uh, 1995 or later. You look for Kasparud, he's in the top 10 on that list with his five titles. And of course, he's on the younger side of that top 10 as well. You look for him now, four titles here this season, all of them, of course, coming on clay courts. But he's going to be making a push towards the top 10, folks. He's inside the top 15, very few points to defend down this hardcourt summer home stretch, and he still hasn't made a fourth round at the U.S. Open, hasn't made a quarterfinal at an Indian Wells, at a Western and Southern. Those are easy point opportunities for him here this summer. Is there any reason to think watching him play? Yes, you know, he's dominant on clay courts. ELO ratings, he's now a top eight guy. Uh, Clay court specific ELOs. He's, by the way, a top 11 guy in overall ELO rating now as well. But you look for Casper that forehand, how dynamic it is, it can absolutely rip through a hardcourt. And the 
depth he's able to create on his backhand and the pace and then, you know, the various angles as well, his movement, I think his game does translate. I've said it before. I think he's a mortal Rafael Nadal. It's the righty version. You see a lot of similarities between the, the whip and the heaviness of their forehand, but even the way they're so handsy to elevate the backhand as well. Casper Ruud, absolutely sensational. Again, a shout out to Pedro Martinez Portero, who makes his first ATP final now inside the top 90 for the, you know, solidly for the first time in his career. And, you know, still also should have some opportunities to gain some points this summer as well. But man, Kasparud is a stud. And then you got to give a shout out to John Isner. Find someone who loves you the way John Isner loves playing the Atlanta event. The John Isner Open, essentially, because he's made nine finals in 11 total events. He's won six titles in those nine finals. I think he's like 36 and 5 overall in his career in Atlanta. Again, he's he's only lost when he's played the event 11 times, he's made the final 9 of them. That's ridiculous. And you look at the sort of company he joins, it's like Federer at Wimbledon and Halle, you know, Djokovic and I think Monte Carlo and then Nadal I suppose everywhere on clay, but like Isner in Atlanta that's where he hangs out. And I know it's a 250 event and it's not on the scale of the others, but you also look for John Isner in every season since 2000, excuse me, all but two seasons since 2010, he's won at least one ATP title. And I know all but one of his ATP titles have been at the 250 level, but that matters. That is a degree of just sustained success that you have to tip your cap to and you have to respect. And yes, it's very one-dimensional. We All of us have watched John Isner match. And probably if you're listening to this podcast, you've watched enough John Isner in your career. But you got to give props to the relentlessness, to just the dedication. Do you know how hard it is to maintain a seven-foot body? Do you know just how much of John Isner there is each and every day and the swords he must feel and just the eating and the stretching and the therapy and just you have to respect the degree of professionalism he has showed because that's what it takes professionalism to win you know a title in all but two seasons since 2010 to be the highest ranked American male for as long as he was and we're never gonna you know unfortunately when we look back at Isner's career perhaps 20-25 years from now it'll likely be associated with the drought in American men's tennis and the lack of Grand Slam champions we had because he was the best guy in that era but he was the best guy Let's be clear. And that degree of success should be respected. Got to give a shout out to Isner extending his streak again, winning a sixth Atlanta title. He's got another child on the way as well. Mazel tov from us here at Cracked Rackets. But Kasparu, John Isner, your two big winners of the week on the ATP Tour. Let's wrap today's show by previewing this week's City Open. I am fortunate enough to be able to be on the grounds there this week. I will be in attendance, be on press row as well. So to check out all of our coverage of that event, be sure to check out our website, crackrackets.com. But of course, it's not often you get to say that Rafael Nadal making his premiere at an event in 2021. It is going to be his debut this year at the City Open, of course, so frequently Rafa, so careful at managing his schedule post-Clay, post-Wimbledon, and he didn't even play Wimbledon this year. He didn't play the Olympics because he was nursing a couple of different injuries. He is electing to play this City Open as he wants to get his hardcourt legs back under him before he's got the Rogers Cup. He's got Cincinnati, and then, of course, because of the current rankings rules, he's still got 2019 U.S. Open champion points on his resume right now. He's technically 
really defending that title as he didn't play in 2020 here uh, in 2021 at the U.S. Open. But, of course, you know, Rafa trying to be, again, the first guy since Dolgopolov in 2012 to win the City Open in his debut at the event. And he's going to be tested because it's a loaded field here. At this ATP 500, you've got FAA as your number two seed, the three seed Dimonau or the four seed Dimitrov. But it's the depth of this field as you go through that makes it so impressive. You have, you know, essentially all of the guys who didn't play the Olympics elected to come play this event. And then, of course, you've got dangerous players like Francis Tiafo in front of a home crowd, Nick Kyrgios, who's always been dangerous in D.C. I think made the final there back in 2019 and just a really, really fun field of players. So certainly I'm excited to be on the ground. You look at, again, some of the upsets. We, you know, it'll be interesting to see Alex Diemenauer, who uh, was unfortunately unable to play the Olympics as he tested positive for COVID, see his health, of course. Hopefully he is healthy heading into uh, this event. But just up and down the board, you look uh, across it, and I think it should be a super, super fun first couple of days, especially if you're a fan of American tennis. You've got so many different young Americans in the draw. Jensen Brooksby, of course, Tommy Paul still around. Taylor Fritz is going to be there. Riley Opelka. You've got guys like Mitchell Kruger, Marcos Giron, who either found their way through qualifying or got into the main draw here. Jack Sock, Sam Query, both in action in the opening day. Of course, Brandon Nakashima, who's made back-to-back finals. Guys like Tennis Sangren, Stephen Johnson, Dennis Kudla. Really, really fun for American fans to go see some of their favorites in action. Of course, full crowd at the City Open. Full crowds here throughout this North American hardcourt summer. That is not something we could say last year. Hopefully, it's something we'll be able to continue to say throughout the entire course of this American summer. But of course, again, you look up and down the board at the draw here at this City Open. Top seed, Rafael Nadal. Again, your second seed is number two seed FAA. Your three seed, Demon Hour. Four seed here is going to be uh, number four seed, Grigor Dimitrov. You've also got guys like Yannick Sinner, Dan Evans, Taylor Fritz, Cam Norrie, who's been so great this year, all within the draw. It should be a super, super fun event. Again, look out for From the Pressers. Look out for more coverage of that event as I will be on the grounds. But overall, the action continues. You've also got, I believe, three WTA events this week. So action continuing everywhere. There's action in San Jose, of course, as well. Be on the lookout for all the covered mini break, week in, week out, day in, day out. And of course, as always, on our website, crackrackets.com. But it should be a super, super fun week of tennis in D.C.